Amen. Man, uh, you can be seated now. A preacher wants to preach. Come on. So uh, let's do this. Let's pray together. Father, we, we just praise you today. And as we just shouted your name, Jesus, you truly are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through you. You are the hope of our brokenness. We live in a world that is constantly, and we hear it all around us, screaming for something more, screaming for order. And Jesus, in you is the something more. In you is the order. In you is the life and the peace and the love and the joy that we so deeply long for. So in this room today, might we increasingly find all we need in you, all of our hope in you. And as we open your word this morning, Jesus, we believe that your word is truth, that you are the word. The full revelation of the Father has been given to us. So help us to press in, conform us to yourself, that we might look like you more and more in all we say, in all we do, in word and deed. Jesus, we ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning again. It's great to be with you. I am, I am officially suffering from something. Uh, I believe my wife fed me glass and my throat is cut open. It is in excessive pain. So we'll see if we make it through two services. I don't know why I said my wife fed me glass. Uh, anyway, but that's how my throat feels like that's what I did. So, um, well, this morning, before we get going into the text, we're going to be in Acts 17, um, 22 through 34, but I want to tell you just some things. I, I was sitting with Dan right after, uh, I think during the video, and I leaned over and I said, there's so much happening at the chapel that we literally need to just have a Sunday night where we all come together and talk about all the things that are happening because there's not enough time on Sunday mornings to tell all of the good things that God has been doing over the last months. Um, but one of the really great things that's been happening, I want to share with you this morning, is um, two years ago, um, we, we had this dream that we would bring residents into the chapel in North Canton, and these residents would come, and um, we didn't, we, we just kind of put them a part of a ministry, and we'd train and equip, and they'd become a part of who we are. Now, some of you maybe remember that way back, or some of you don't, but the, the guys that are a part of that residency are Dave Short, which I think a lot of you know and love, and Tim Talley. Um, Nate Stone, Carl Olson, and uh, they're kind of the ones that are currently still in the residency. And so one of the things that's happening is the residency is coming to an end. And when all things come to an end, um, you know, there's a bit of of sorrow because there's been a connectedness. But not all of these residents, and this is what's great about being a church that's about the kingdom, um, really what what we've been working with residents, what I have, is saying, what, what does God have for you next? And so next Sunday, we're going to have a time where we spend specifically with these residents and prayer over them and share with you a little bit about the things that are coming up for them. Two of them are going to be giving their life to global, um, to, to, to the world, and they're going to be moving out of country within the next year, um, one sooner. And um, one's going to be in Akron, one's going to stay around with us. I'm going to keep you, you know, wait until next week. Um, but I'm so proud of these guys, and uh, they truly, for me, they are brothers, and 
we are going to do a work for the kingdom forever together. And they're a part of us, and they feel as a part of this family. And so thank you for loving them and caring for them and for all of us working this together. So next week's going to be a really cool time for us to celebrate all that God has done and to share with you a little bit more about the next steps. And they'll have an opportunity to share a little bit more about their next steps of what God's going to do in their life. So a little business there, um, but really, really exciting things. So this morning, let's read Acts 17, 22 through 34. <clears throat> Acts 17, 22 through 34. Reads, So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, and so here, this is Paul in his missionary journeys, and he's standing in, some call this Mars Hill, he's standing and he's, he's going to proclaim the gospel into a very, very pagan, pagan culture. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life, breath, and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods in the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each of one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being." As even some of you, your own poets, have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or an image formed by the art of imagination of man. The times of ignorance of God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead, speaking of Jesus. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, We will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, and, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysus and the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris and the others with them. So in this passage this morning, what we see is, and today the, the saturate um, theme is arts and entertainment. What do we do with the arts and the entertainment, really the culture around us? And what we see in this text is Paul, an example of what he did often, is how he engaged within the culture. And notice what he'll do in this text. He's going to do things like he's going to reference the, the unknown God. And so he had made observations about their culture, about their worship, about what they loved. He also made some, op, uh, he, he actually quotes a poet, a, a, a non-Christian poet. And so in some ways, Paul knew much more than just what he observed, but he was a student of their culture. He knew things that weren't necessarily only, you know, what was privy to Christianity. And so what Paul does is he engages them within their art, within their entertainment, within their cultural identity. So, so the question maybe to start us off this morning is what do we do with the things we see, the things that we observe around us as Christians? And cultural engagement, or another word that you could call that, is missiology. 
Now, there's this thing for us that we, we typically, when we see people like Christiana, we, we refer to them as missionaries, right? And we are just regular people who give to the greater work in the world. Well, Amissi, and, and so what she does is she goes into an Arab country and she observes the culture. And she tries to find inroads in which she can speak the gospel with clarity. If she doesn't, you know, things will be bad. And so language, for example, is important. I was with a young girl in Guatemala, and she kept telling all the, the, the children that God wanted to save them from their freckles, right? Because pecados and pecador, right, are very close, but pecados is freckles, and pecador is sin, right? God wants you to save you from your freckles. They were all astonished because they were a giant freckle. They're Guatemalan, right? And so... Um, and so, so the, the thing that, that, that we have to engage our culture, and so I, I want to say this maybe to start off, um, we need to be adjusted as North American Christians because you are missionaries. We make this big assumption that our nation is Christian. We, we make this big assumption that what is normative to us, Christian music, Christian t-shirts, Christian necklaces, Christian subculture is normative to everyone else. It is not. To be honest, it's very weird to many people. They're like, why is that man kneeling? It looks like John Deere, but it's not on his T-shirt. Right? Like, why does he have a cross in the Starbucks logo? I don't understand what that is. Are you, are, we, we've, and just so you know, I've got big issues with Christian marketing. Just so you know. I think we're wasting a bunch of money that could be sending people somewhere else to the ends of the earth with the gospel. I think we kind of just spend money on ourselves. Christian industry is huge. So <clears throat> you go to the bookstore and try to buy a Bible for, you know, $100. That just troubles me. Okay. So that's probably too much about Ryan Johnston this morning. Just so you know, I got a little bit of angst there. So, so in this, we, we've created this whole Christian subculture and what it is, is we just kind of stay within it, and we become unaware of the culture around us. But there's this big question that we've been asking for a long time. And, and, and well, so a missiologist, or when we engage culture, we, what do they do? They look at the values of the culture, the way of being, the stories within it, how they view money, how they view life, how they view dignity, how they view sex, how they view um, family, and all these things, and try to find inroads in proclaiming the gospel into it. And so the two dominant ways that we've been taught to deal with culture in, in North America is this. There's the, the, the big words for this is syncretism. One is we just don't deal with it at all. We just blend our lives. We have our faith, and we have Christian, We have, have the world, and so our faith is kind of over here in this category, and the world is over here, and we just mesh these two things together. And so in many ways, we look as much like the world as we do Christian, and it's very, very confusing. And so syncretism is one way that we've kind of dealt with this, is we've just kind of embedded, which, by the way, syncretism is not okay. Um, it, it doesn't work. Um, and what happens is we blend culture and Jesus together, and the Christian faith is kind of blown over by it. The world just overcomes the Christian life in syncretism into where we look much more like our culture than we do like Jesus. The other way that we've done it is sectarianism, and this is kind of you separate yourself completely. There's a large group of these people locally, right? And what sectarianism says is that I'm just going to separate my, myself completely from the culture. 
And so I reject automobiles. I reject technology. I reject anything that looks like culture and looks, looks kind of even close to Christianity. I'm going to reject it wholeheartedly, and I'm going to separate myself from it. In maybe even smaller ways, what ends up happening, so in stinkertism, we're blown over by the world. And by sectarianism, what happens is we just fight culture. We're constantly in a battle against culture, telling everyone what's wrong. I would like to propose this morning a third way that we could do this. And I, I would say, how do we deal with culture? We need to engage it with wisdom. We need to engage in our culture with wisdom. And there's, there's three ways, and this is from the, the Acts 29 network had a these things they've used, and I started using them a long time ago. I'm really not sure who they're from anymore, but um, I'm not going to claim them fully for myself. But um, <clears throat> there's three ways that they challenge, and I, I like these, that what we can do with culture. Um, <clears throat> the first, there, there's three, the three R's. It's receive, reject, and when we look at culture with wisdom, we can receive, reject, or redeem it. And so receive. There's some things within culture that we receive. Now, uh, raise your hand if you have a cell phone, right? All right. There's some teenager in the room who's like, my stinking parents still haven't given me a cell phone. I couldn't raise my hand. So unfair, right? Um, um, and there, so there's certain things that we've received in this room. There's certain things that, and we know that technology can be used like for really, really evil purposes. You know, when I was growing up, right, what was pornography? It was in your hand. You had to purchase it. In 2002, when I was in college, well, in 2000, when I was in college, it flipped. It, it went from dorm room walls to dorm room screens, and it became immediately accessible. And it is probably one of the greatest cancers in our society that is eroding the family, that's eroding a culture in ways that we don't even know, right? Yeah. And so there's some dangerous things. And so there's things that we can receive, right, in, in, in our world. But there's also things that we need to reject. And the things that we need to reject, I will always reject pornography. I will, I'll reject homosexuality, drunkenness. I'll, I'll reject cohabitation. If you are not married to the person you're living with, you should move out, get married, and do it right, the way God made. You have a, you're, you're 30% more likely to get divorced, and that's, that's not, that, just so you know that, if you're cohabitating together before marriage. And the other is, God told you to wait until you're married to be intimate with one another. And Mike and I can talk to you about our counseling times together and how much it messes up your trust in your relationship if you do that. So our culture is saying all the time, hey, just live together. Go on a test drive. Figure it out. Kind of make this light vow, Right? The light vow of cohabitation basically says this. I commit my life to live with you for a while as long as it works out for me. And as soon as it stops working out for me or your annoyances overwhelm me too much, then maybe I will or maybe I won't marry you. I don't know about you, but I, I love being married to someone who I said, till death do I part, I am committed to you and I am committed to you for forever. And this is what is true in God's word. So drunkenness, even immodesty, right? There's something to say about, like, that, that I should dress in a way that honors the Lord, right? And so there's things in culture, and our culture says that you should dress however you want, look at whatever you want, go after whatever you want, have fun, have a good time. I reject those things. I don't think those things are true. I don't think they honor God. 
And I won't engage in those things in my own life. But then the other side is redeem. So I can receive. There's things in society that aren't inherently evil that I can receive, right? And then there's things that I need to reject because they're against God's word. And then there's things I need to, that I can redeem. There's things in life and in culture that I can redeem and I can be a part of. And you think about this in arts, in the arts and entertainment world. And, you know, music would be a part of that. And so maybe think about it, music, art, movies, and all these things that kind of drive the storyline of our culture. And so in these things within our culture, um, you know, you think about music. Um, the music that is going on, I'll, I'm going to give you some insight. I'm going to use some illustrations today. So, so 21 Pilots, anybody familiar with them? If I could turn back time to the good old days, right, where I don't even know where my mom used to sing me to sleep. This is a really popular song right now, but I'm so stressed out. And it goes on and on. And, and there's, there's songs. Every generation has a, had songs like this of the good old days, right? Going back to a time where life was more peaceful, more quaint. Oh, if I could just go back home. John Mayer said it like this. Another He said, stop this train. I want to get off and go home again, right? To these peaceful times, 21 Pilots again said, where, where we used to play pretend, right? Used to play pretend, used to play pretend, right? I got it. And so, so it's going backwards into this time in life. And that's always a lie. Even in North America, we hear this all the time. And so there's this gospel I can hear in that. There's this false truth that if I could go backwards, life would be better. And what God is saying is, no, you need to go forward because there's a time when I'm going to make everything right. And so we do, it with, we do it with government. We say, oh, if we could go back to the time of the church in the 1940s, 50s, 60s, where it was so much more better. And I'd say, I don't think I want to go back to the time where white people couldn't worship with black people. I don't think it's that quaint back then. I don't think there's ever really a quaint time backwards. I think there's going to be a wonderful time forwards. And it's a lie we believe. And so when we hear these things, if we're looking at it with a gospel lens, we can redeem it. We can speak the truth of the gospel into someone's situation. This is what Paul is going to do in this text. He's going to say, you, you've heard of this, but I'm going to tell you there's something way better. It's way different. Another one would say it, um, Marvin Gaye, right? He said it like this. He said, what's going on, right? Remember the song, right? What's going on? What's going on? Marvin Gaye was asking this deeper question about what is going on with all the destruction and the hopelessness and the hurt in the world. And really, he had no conclusions with this song. His question was just, what's up? And what's up is that our world is broken and it needs a redeemer, right? It needs someone to come and restore and make things right again, right? In, in, in our culture, we don't have to fear, right? And there's some music and other things. It's just straight vulgar and I don't need to be a part of it right? I don't need to hear it. But there's other pieces of culture and other things, right? The music, a man said, is the parakeet of a culture. If you're not listening to music, you probably don't understand the culture you live in very well. And so I'm not saying, like, don't listen to Christian music anymore. I love it. It encourages me. But I'm also saying that you can use many of the things in our culture to point people to Jesus. It's actually one of the most effective ways in which we can point people to Jesus, Art is another one. So I have a painting up here. It's on the wall in my office. I think I do. Do I? Yep. Nope. Anyway, I have this painting in my office. There we go. Um, that's the painting that's on the wall in my office. And um, it's a painting that <clears throat> I was in Kosovo um, in 2007. You might not know this about Kosovo, but the Serbians from the north came down and said, we are going to wipe out all the Albanians in Kosovo. They are, and it was genocide. I mean, it was 
Um, Bill Clinton, maybe one of the best things that he did in his presidency is he said, this is wrong, and the U.S. government stepped in. And we stopped what was one of the greatest atrocities in, in this century that was happening right out of the gates. And so, actually, when we drove into the country, there was a picture of Bill Clinton. It was like 40 stories tall. That was the first thing I saw. So, uh, anyway, we won't talk about that. And so, so, I go to Kosovo, and every person you meet, their father had died in the war. Their mother had died. Their, their brother, their sister James Blunt, uh, he's an artist, he wrote a song called No Bravery. He was, a, he was actually a soldier in Kosovo, and he wrote about when he looks in their eyes, he sees, only t- uh, he sees no bravery anymore, only sadness. And that was my experience in Kosovo, is you just saw sadness everywhere, because they had come in and wiped out generations. But an art teacher who lived in a bombed-out house gave me that painting. And that painting is... You can't see it from here, but it's raised up, right? It's all, all of the, everything's kind of topographical on that. And he mixed paint in with the dirt of Kosovo. And he made the textures of it. And whenever I see that painting, I think of a place like Kosovo or our world. And you don't see it as clear as you do in my office, but it's very dark, right? It's very dark and it's very desolate below, but as the sun rises over the hill and the tree, the green is coming, and it's my hope, that it's my reminder that even in the brokenness and the darkness of this world, that the sun is rising up, that Jesus is coming, and in him is coming life more and more and more and more, even in dark places like Kosovo, where there's deep deep brokenness. See, even art, I believe, God wants to redeem. There can be a greater story. No, no way he painted that with that intention, but God has used that in my life in so many ways to just constantly remind me, sitting right in front of my desk, of the brokenness of our world and the great news of Jesus Christ coming over the hill, shining his light, bringing life. Think about an entertainment this week, um, Friday, which I haven't seen it yet, coming out next Friday. So we had Star Trek. Anybody Star Trek fans, right? Star Trek, no? So good. Captain Kirk, I watched it with my dad when it was terrible, and now it's really good. And so, uh, <clears throat> born. I don't know if anybody's born fans. Uh, yeah, if, if you can watch somebody beat somebody up with a phone book, I'm just saying, that's bad, and that's awesome. <laughs> and so... Uh, I just wish I could do that. Just one time, just phone book, elbow a guy, he's out. Anyway, I can't do that. Jason Bourne's really great. And so there's these two stories. And in these two stories, Captain Kirk, right? Captain Kirk is this deeply broken and troubled guy. His past, he is so wounded. And the new series has like really displayed his brokenness. He's always in fights, always seeking indulgence and lust. And his, 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 his pride and his rage always gets him in trouble. And in his pride and his rage, he goes after things on his own without his team, and he ends up getting everybody in trouble. And then what happens is he humbles himself. He sees the people around him as not his adversaries, but as his team, and he begins to begin to work with them and to move toward restoration, and they take on a great task, and by the end of it, you're like, I can't believe it, but they got out of this, right? That's the old Captain Kirk and the new Captain Kirk. And this whole story is one, it's a, see, the story of God is in every story. 
And the, the reality is, is, you know, there's going to be a Star Trek 4, 1500, and it's going to be the same story because he's always going to be that guy until he's changed. Just like I'm always that guy until something deeper transforms my heart and my life. Jason Bourne. Jason Bourne is a guy who has no identity. He doesn't know who he is. He's coming to recall it over and over and over again because it, the Bourne series displays humanity's deep need to know who they are, why they are here, what they were made for. And J- Jason Bourne's whole pursuit in life is to figure out who the heck he is. And none of us will ever find that out from outside. And he'll, he'll, he'll say it in this text, outside of who God is and who he made them to be. So, Let's dig into the text. Holy cow, I have no time. All right, let's do this. So in this, we tend to lean toward one or the other when we must teach ourselves and our children, the next generation, discernment. We as Christians need to learn how to deal with culture, and we're going to burn through this. So ready? The first thing that we see that Paul did is he lived with gospel intentionality. He lived with gospel intentionality. He's in the Arabagus with the men of Athens, and so he's within culture. He's within people that don't have faith and don't believe. He is not a part of his little holy huddle somewhere else. He has positioned his life as a missionary. And as he steps in, his, his perception of them is he actually compliments them. He says, hey, you are very religious people. Right? And he's going to say a compliment into their heart and their life that, hey, there's something inherently, like, it's honorable, your pursuit, it's honorable, your dedication. These things are honorable things, even if they lead to emptiness and nothingness. It's honoring. And so he, he kind of is trying to get a little bit of favor with them, we see in the text. And so he, he says some encouragement to them. And he, he says, now, I want to make some observations of your worship. Now, one of the things that we see about Paul is he, he was educated on who they are and what they worshiped. The, the greatest thing I could tell you, if you meet someone of another faith, is to get an education about what they are. If they're not open to the gospel, simply ask questions. Is Tell me more of what a Muslim believes. Tell me more how this works with your family. Tell me more. The greatest way to learn about another faith is not in a book to read about them, but is by meeting a person face-to-face and asking them questions. I know more about the face of this world from the people I've talked to more than the books I've read about. And so get an education. And we see that Paul had an education on who they were. And he says, what you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. And so now he's about to proclaim the gospel to them, and he does. He's going to proclaim the gospel to them. So what you worship is this unknown God. I proclaim to you. And so one of the things that we see is Paul listened with the lens of the gospel. What we just did with those, all, of the, all of the media and the arts and entertainment is, is hearing them through the lens of the gospel, hearing the, the brokenness and the hope. If We say it like this, is hearing that if someone comes to me and says, Ryan, my life's a mess. And I'm like, oh man, why is it a mess? And he goes, I'm broke. Right? He goes, I don't have any money. And I said, so would your life be better if you had a lot of money? And he says, yes. And so what is his hope found in? Money. Right? And so for me, it gives me an opportunity to speak the truth in the gospel of, hey man, yeah, you need money, but there's a greater hope that you need in your life. And you were created in the image of God not to have a bunch of money, right? But you're fallen and broken, and Jesus Christ wants to redeem you, and he wants to restore you. And when you become his child, he'll take care of everything you need. This is his promise, and I can say that with all confidence. I didn't say he'd be rich or loaded or whatever that is. 
said he would take care of what you need. We talked about that last week. So in this, we, we become people that, that listen through the lens of the gospel. And then best way to do that is we speak the gospel into our own heart, into our own lives, asking questions about what am I believing? What am I believing that is not true? Listen to ourselves, speak in the culture with gospel intentionality. Second thing we see Paul do is make gospel connections. He says in 24 through 30, he says, This I proclaimed you, the creator God who made everything, who made you, the sustainer of all things. He gives this kind of big, big overarching view of God. He even mentions Adam in this. He created the first man, and from all of us we are born. He says, find him. And he's going to tell him to deconstruct and reconstruct of you. He's going to say, deconstruct, you need to change how you think. Because this unknown God, just so you know, he's made himself known. And so he's going to speak into the culture, and he's going to say the gospel. He says it's been made known by a man named Jesus who rose from the dead. And so in this, there's this gospel fluency inside of Paul that, that not only did he recognize, like listen and hear their brokenness and what their hope was found in, but he was fluent enough in the gospel to proclaim it into that situation. Are you with me? He was fluent enough to proclaim the gospel into the brokenness of our world. And so what we need to be is make, to make gospel connections is we need to commit to a lifelong growing relationship with Christ in the gospel. The greatest thing that will make you an evangelist, a person who engages the culture, is not a class that we would hold here, but an intimate walk with Jesus alongside of other believers. There's no shortcut to a vibrant Christian faith than walking intimately with God. So in this, the third thing we see in last, never stop being faithful to the gospel. Never stop being faithful to the gospel. See, the response is up to God. What did some do? Paul, you know, maybe one of the greatest missionaries ever. What, what, what happened when he proclaimed this gospel? He was mocked. It said many mocked him. It's not my job to convert people. It's not my job to save people. It's not my job to change things. God is the one who does that. This is up to him. I am just to be faithful, to be obedient to him, to proclaim and to engage. And so here their response is they mocked him. It says some mocked, but what? Some followed. Some followed him. Some followed. And what happened in these some following him was that, they, <clears throat> that he proclaimed the gospel and they believed. 1 Corinthians 3.6 says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. What's important is culture is not made up by a bunch of ambiguous what's. And so it says that, that we need to stop seeing kind of the what's of, of the party of affiliation that you, you align yourself politically. Uh, or the, 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 the type of job or the type of person that you are. And we see these kind of categories. But our world is made up of a bunch of who's. And our world is made up of a bunch of who's that God loves. Not like who's from like Dr. Seuss from Whoville, but like who's, right? People, real people. That God sent his son to redeem the people that are in our world. Of every color, every creed, every country. And our God is on a mission to redeem them. And he has called us to be on that mission with him. Culture is something that we will always have to deal with as Christians. And the question is, will we do it through the lens of the gospel? 
Or will we just say, forget it, I'm going to separate myself from it and just put a fortress around my life so it doesn't touch me with all. And by the way, good luck with that. Or we can say, I'm going to be just like it and I'm going to just put my life in the middle of it and be conformed to my culture, which I believe sadly if we do a little bit of inventory, we realize somewhere in all of our lives we've done that. Or we can engage it and become on mission with him and engaging our culture in the arts and in entertainment and all the things that make up our culture. So we need to make a decision. What are we going to be? What are you going to be? Have you acted as though the gospel's really not that good of news? That identity and life and all things are found in him? Will you commit today to begin to see life through the lens of the gospel? Really good news this morning. Romans 8, 16 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs of God. And fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. The road of being on mission of culture is not a road of peace and of perfect life. It will be one where you might be mocked. I don't know about you, but I've resolved that I'm good with that. And in this, there's this other deep truth, and it's here, that we are children and heirs of God. So the news today is, if you're feeling this in your heart and your life, you are no longer at war with God if you are in Christ Jesus. The righteousness that you have is because of what Jesus did on the cross, not because of how you live in culture. Righteousness is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. And because of what Jesus has done, might we respond well in, in begging him, asking him to use us to see that happen in others' lives. And if that's a song, if it's a movie, if it's a painting, if it's a conversation, if it's about a family, might we always see all things through the lens of the gospel that we might always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that is within us? Might we always be looking for an open door to proclaim the greatest news that humanity has ever known and that Jesus Christ has come and you no longer have to be at war with God because he has come, but you can have peace, you can be a child, and you can become an heir. So we have a choice. We can live in a culture. We can reject it altogether, or we can engage it for his good purposes. And I hope the chapel in North Canton, we become people that engage it more and more and more, surrounding ourselves with each other, building each other up, encouraging one another, that God might continue to do a great thing in and through us. Let's pray together. Father, we believe, as we sang earlier, that we have one great God. Jesus, we believe that you came, that you died, that you rose, that you sit on high, that you are exalted above all things. We believe that we do live in a very, very broken culture. But in everything, Lord, in the, the greater thread of everybody's story, there's a longing, there's a hope for something more. And Lord, you've given us that truth of what, what that more is. It's not about going backwards, but it's looking toward you in heaven and future and glory that we might lay aside all the things of this world and press on looking forward toward heaven. The Lord, our identity and our hope is in you and you alone. 
And so, Lord, as we live amongst a world that is broken and dying and without you, Lord, might we use every resource at our fingertips to find inroads to proclaim the good news of what you have done. Lord, we see it everywhere, the decay and the brokenness. And Lord, you have delivered us from it. And so might you compel us more and more to live vibrant lives centered on your gospel, speaking your gospel, hearing everything through the lens of your gospel, that we might engage our culture with it. And this I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand. And as we stand, it's every Sunday, the altars are open for you to come and pray. Maybe there's someone on your mind. Maybe there's something in your life that was convicting this morning. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. And you want to come right down to the altars to pray to do so. Whatever God's asking you to do, I invite you to come as we sing.